We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. He gave me this conversation of no more Christian comforts, which we started last week. And then he made me really, really uncomfortable. (laughs) He made preaching and speaking really uncomfortable. It's like, it feels like I'm a a method actor. Y'all know how people like, they take on the role. Like when you're going to play Ali, you start to like follow in his footsteps and you start to like, that's what's happening. So tell God, thank you because he thinks enough of you. He loves you enough and he cares enough about you getting this word that he would allow me to be a method speaker on today just so that you can see his glory on display. Amen. And maybe that doesn't mean a lot for y'all. Maybe you feel like, okay, this is great. No, I think that whenever um, I listened to T.D. Jakes one time and he sounded like this and I thought, ooh, I'm going to, this is going to be so good. This is going to be so good because I knew that if the enemy would so buffer him so that he would attack the thing that he needs to be able to give the word of God to his people, that this must be something really powerful. So I encourage you to get on the edges of your seat, and I encourage you to pull out your notes, and I encourage you to pull out your Bibles, because God is, and he already is speaking in this place. Amen? So we started the conversation last week, No More Christian Comforts, and it is such a timely conversation. Um, because it goes without saying, but I'll say it, our world needs light right now. And our world, which is wrapped in darkness, needs the God that we're supposed to be wrapped in. And I feel like what God is doing in this moment is if he was here, physically here, because he's here, I feel like he would pull up a chair and he would say, come on, I need to have a conversation with you. I feel like that's what he's doing in this moment. He's saying, I know that you guys are having church. I know that you guys are going about your life. I know that we're almost in the sixth month of 2022. Y'all are just going and going and going. But come, come, come on. I just need to have a conversation with you. Y'all do that to your kids sometimes? Like we've been going around a lot and a lot's happening and your life is moving and my life is moving. But come, just get in the car with me. Ride with me while I go to the grocery store. I feel like this is the kind of conversation that Jesus and God wants to have with his people today. And I feel like that's why he is pausing us to say, okay, you all have gotten very comfortable with operating at what is not an optimal level of believer. And I just want to slow you down for a moment so I can explain to you how you should be operating. And I just want to slow you down for a moment so I can talk to you, have a word with you about what I expect from you as my followers, as believers. Amen? So that then gives birth to the No More Christian Comforts. And last, and so if you weren't here last week, I'll give you just a little bit of why that came. We talked about creature comforts. Creature comforts are, and I had never heard of that term before until hearing it from a couple people, but creature comforts are the things in life that bring us comfort. 
and ease and they help our well-being and they're like a combination. So think about a really nice resort that has really nice creature comforts. It might have heated tiles. It might have um, bathrobes. It might have all these things that bring ease to you. So that's where the term no more Christian comforts is coming from because God is saying that I need you not to get so accustomed to having to be so comfortable, right? So last week, um, Nehemiah was our guide, and I'm not going to go over it all again. Don't you hate when preachers do that, when they preach two sermons because they go and re-preach last week and then they preach this week? I'm not going to do that. Um, but I do want to make sure you're up to speed in the conversation. So Nehemiah was our guide last week, and just three things that we learned from Nehemiah are that concern and compassion displace my comfort, So even though I might want to be comfortable, when I hear about the trouble that's happening around me, when I see the people that are in disgrace around me, that displaces my desire to be comfortable. Nehemiah taught us that. He also taught us that I am favored to be a blessing to others because when Nehemiah heard of what was happening in Jerusalem, he didn't just want to go give a blessing. We're good for giving it, especially now with Cash App. It's real easy. You just Cash App somebody something, Apple Cash them something. He's like, I don't want to just send something into the atmosphere. I want to go be a blessing. So we're called to not just give blessings, but be a blessing. And then also we learn from Nehemiah that I have to reach out to unfamiliar places because what we learned, and maybe I just learned it, is that Nehemiah was not from Jerusalem. That his people and his, his fathers and his ancestors were from Jerusalem, but he actually was born in Persia, which is where he was serving the king. So for him to leave his very comfortable and cush life in the palace to go help a people that he was, not, he was akin to but not a resident of, He went to an unfamiliar place, and we're called to do that as well. So that was last week. Um, Y'all remember my Bible? You remember my paper Bible that I brought for y'all? It's kind of like your message, honey. It's invisible, but just picture it. Um, There's this Bible, and when you see your paper Bible, my paper Bible, you see the timeline of events, and as you get closer to the birth of Christ, the dates get smaller. So in 586 B.C. is when there was the fall of Jerusalem that we're talking about. This is when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took over, and all the people were exiled um, from there. Now, continue to look at the timeline and go a little bit further closer to the birth of Christ. 539 B.C., this is new information, so now we're on today. Um, 539 B.C. is when King Cyrus the king of Persia overthrew the king of Babylon. So there's always like this battle for power. And just let that be a side note. What is today may not be tomorrow. I think we see that in our own government. What you see today, you may not see tomorrow. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had his reign, and then King Cyrus overthrew him in 539 B.C. About a year into that, 538 B.C., God moved King Cyrus's heart. And I'm going to read that for you guys. We're going to um, be in Ezra today, and we're going to be in Haggai. Ezra and Haggai. I'm going to take you to Ezra. You know what's good when it's Old Testament. That's where the glory is. Um, Ezra chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 just so I can fill in the blanks for you guys on what happened with King Cyrus's heart. So in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. 
The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem." Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So I gave you those five verses because in 538, we now have King Cyrus who is taking the throne and he is moved by God. He is reminded of, of God and he's like, you know what? These people need to be able to go back to Jerusalem and be able to serve their God there and build a temple for him. Why am I saying this in this moment? Because when the people were released from Cyrus's grip, when the people were released from exile, they were released for a purpose. And it was to go back to Jerusalem and go build the Lord's house so they can serve and worship him there. It feels very familiar. It sounds a lot like Moses when he went to Pharaoh and with the specific instructions to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, why? So that they may serve me. We as believers have been freed from the grip of sin. And we as believers have been set free from the bondage of Satan and hell and death in the grave. But we have stopped at salvation and we are not curious as to why we have been saved and set free. And I say that in this moment because it's very easy to get released from something and lose purpose in the release. It's very easy to get released from something and to start down a certain path with a certain set of intentions. And then somewhere along the way, life happens. And I believe that's why God is pulling up a chair today to say, okay, I think you lost focus as to why I freed you. Because there was a reason why I allowed you to make it out of that family. And it wasn't for just you. And it wasn't so that you could be able to look down on your family members now and say, I used to be there, but now I'm not. There's a reason why there are people who have prison time that you're not doing. And I didn't allow you to have that prison sentence. There's a reason why, because there's things I need for you to do. And I think that while your intentions may have been good upon release, you have missed now the assignment as to why you were released. So these people were released with the sole purpose. King Cyrus was moved by the heart of God to say, release these people so that they can go back to Jerusalem and do what? Build a temple for their Lord where they can worship him. I don't want us to, um, I don't want us to miss what God is saying in this moment. And I don't think that you are. I think you're listening. I can tell you're listening. But there is a lulling to sleep that has happened with the body of Christ. And I'll say it broadly so that you don't feel bad, like I'm just talking to you, but you are a part of the body of Christ, (laughs) right? There is this lulling to sleep. And I feel like what God is doing in this conversation is trying to make sure that we wake up. And it's not to place judgment or shame, but it is to bring about accountability because if you don't, first of all, realize that you're sleeping, you won't wake up, right? And I think it's also important for you to understand what put you to sleep so that you can stay awake, 
because this is the kind of conversation we're going to have today. It's not going to be a lot of hooping and hollering. I don't have the voice for it, and I don't think that's the intended purpose. It is for you guys to take these words that are coming from heaven and understand very clearly. Popka Elementary. Um, understand very clearly what God is saying. Amen? Amen. So, again, Ezra and Haggai are going to be our guides today. Um, I want us to think about the excerpt that we just read, and I know you guys are still thinking about it, but these people, they went out when they left with the right intentions, but life happened. I want us to spend some time today talking about God wants us to spend some time today talking about the life that happens that lulls us to sleep, the life that happens that makes us overly comfortable. And I want you to, as I'm talking through this, hear the word behind the word. Because there's always a word that's behind the word. So I know that there are plenty of times when Pastor Wanzella or Pastor Tina are speaking, and I hear what's coming out of their mouth, but I'm also hearing the thing that God has already been speaking to me about. Or he like call, he's like conjuring up, calling up some things that he's already been kind of putting, planting seed on. So hear the word behind the word. We're going to skip over to Ezra chapter 4. And I'm going to read it for you. Um, and this is going to be the first stop on our journey today where we're going to see what happens, what comes in, and what dismantles good intentions. Because keep in mind, they went there with the right intentions, right? So Ezra chapter 4, starting at verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esher-Hadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. So just pause right there for a second. The people are going with the right intention. You got saved. You're like, I'm going to do this. I am going to be on fire for God. I am going to. He has set me free from so many things. He freed me from that lifestyle. He allowed me to make it out of what was a bad situation. I'm going to serve him with my whole heart. He died for me so I can live for him. And I'm going to do that. And that's the intention that the people have. But once they get back to the land, there are people who are already there. There are local inhabitants. And it makes me think about so many times when the truth meets my local inhabitants. And I have such good intentions with it, right? I'm like, this is, I'm going to do it this time. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be holy. Because the word says be holy. And I'm going to escape room. I'm going to create escape room and allow God to do that. And I'm going to look at my habits. And I'm going to like, and then I met with the local inhabitants who are there. So they're met with them. And the people were being slick. So they're like, listen, you're building, we want to build, you want to build, we want to build. We both, we both love God. You know, like, let us help you build. Um, but Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. So they saw right through it. They knew that this, these people weren't trying to really build with them. They were just trying to be amongst them. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage them. If you could bold it or underline it or just put that in your mind, 
They set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials. This is going to be good. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So if you have notes, ways I get too comfortable, the first way, and there's going to be three, is I get comfortable with avoiding opposition. I get comfortable with avoiding opposition. So keep in mind, these are people who went back from exile well-intentioned. I want to believe, I want to extend to you, Grace, this morning that you are well-intentioned and that when you hear the words that come out of this ministry, that when you gave your heart to God, that you were well-intentioned. However, a couple of things happened here in the scriptures we read. They got people set out to discourage them, and they were also bribing officials. We as believers have gotten too comfortable with avoiding that kind of opposition. Say more. I will. This is the note from God. And I always, anytime it's directly direct quotation from him, I put it in bold and I put note from God. Christian, in some regards, has become synonymous with the word coward. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. I love how he tried to clean it up. Coward is a person who lacks the courage to do or endure dangerous or unpleasant things. It is to cower, crouch down in fear. So we're talking today, why am I comfortable? And this is probably uncomfortable. Having a conversation about why you're comfortable is probably really uncomfortable, but it's a necessary conversation. Why are we as believers, we, I'm going to put me in that. Why are we so comfortable? Because we, like them, have gotten very comfortable with avoiding opposition. We have become cowardly. A cowardly person just avoids things that are dangerous or unpleasant. So when things become dangerous or unpleasant for you or for me, we stop. But here's the, th here's the thing. The scripture said that in this world you will have much trouble. So that just means that we are going to forever be on pause or buffering because we are always going to have dangerous or unpleasant things. And if we as believers come to a, streak, a streaking halt when we're met with things that are unpleasant or dangerous, we are out of assignment, right? What kind of things discourage us? So for them... They were literally standing over them while they were building, and they were like, you can't do this. This isn't going to work. You don't have the resources. There was like a physical, like, opposition. For us, the things that discourage us are more like, I planted that seed. I was obedient like they told me to do. I didn't see a 500% increase. Now I'm discouraged, and so now I've stopped. For uh, Yes, 500 um, for us, it's more like I was saying earlier, I got the word about being holy. I went home. I started to unpack it. However, I got really discouraged because I, re I realized that I'm not holy and I keep doing unholy things, even though the scripture says be holy. And this is just too much to try to uphold it, so I'm just not going to do it. Or, you know, I was trying to work on my habits, and I was really good when I was amongst everybody else. But when I got home, my habits were too big for me, and so now I'm just discouraged. I just, I just don't do it anymore. Those are the kind of things that discourage us. Those are the kind of things that make us very comfortable with just saying, I just won't, I just won't. And there's not really anything else other to the sentence other than I just, I just won't. 
I thought it was interesting that the local inhabitants who were there, not only did they set out to discourage them, but it said that they also um, bribed officials to work against them. I read it in a different translation, and it said that they um, hired counsel to work against them. And I was like, what does that mean, right? Because we're doing Bible study together. So what they literally did was they hired people from the king's court. So think about the court system. Think about the ninth, was it ninth judicial, ninth judicial court? We're familiar with that. Um, they hired people from the court system to work against them. So I would imagine it was probably like they hired people to have the permit permits be like hung up or something like that, tie, tied up the permits, you know, so that stuff wasn't working or, you know, there was some um, supply chain issues out of nowhere you know, because they were trying to do this. And so the level of um, intensity, I guess I'm trying to point to, the level of strategy that these people went, went, went to to stop this process, to me, speaks very well to what we can anticipate from an enemy who hates us. Because they didn't see, they, there was no... Um, Nothing too costly for them to do it. For them to go bribe officials, that was expensive. They went and got in the, the, the back pocket in the hands of the court officials to make this building difficult. I'm saying this not to give them credit. I'm saying it because if that is what they did for these people who were trying to build a holy temple to God, you have to think about what the, there's, no, there's no extreme that your enemy won't go to to discourage you or to work against you. This is Sunday school now. So now you're like, okay, I've heard this before. There, there's an enemy. There, and sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's the inner me. And all like, you feel like I'm rehearsing something you said before, or that has been said before. And I am, but I'm saying it in this moment because you have to get over it. You have to move past it. We are a part of Truth Movement Church. Movements anticipate opposition. And if you come to it, if you have come to a place in your life where you're like, if it's, I, I can't, I just can't, I can't even. Like, I, if it's too much, I just can't. Like, you need to stop. You need to stop. God is pulling up the chair and he's saying, stop it. Because you are a believer. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are somebody who has been called to be light, that you put on top of a hill to light the whole community in front of you, you're called to be the salt, to make sure that there's salt in the earth. And so you cannot be so cowardly. You cannot continue to allow, oh, I was going, I was going to try to make it, but I started not, I, I started not feel good. And so I was going to try, but I couldn't, I, I was going to be a part of that, but then stuff kicked up at work. And so I don't have availability like that anymore. Like you, you have got to stop. You've got to stop. Because you and I have become way too comfortable with avoiding opposition. We are in a place where, um, and you guys understand soldiers and being in the army of the Lord and all of that. But that's not just a song, it's a real thing. And we have people who literally sideline at every turn. Like you look back, you're like, where are you? Oh, they got sidelined again. Like, stop. Like, we have stuff to do. And you can't continue to, to take these L's. And just accept it for what it is and leave the rest of us who are trying to move this work to have to work without you. So I'll move on from that. I felt conviction. Um, 
we cannot get comfortable with avoiding opposition. And the reason why we have been lulled to sleep is because we have gotten too comfortable with avoiding opposition. I'll keep going. Ezra chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I'm just going to read two verses. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. I'll read it. You don't have to go there. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, the usual suspects, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. The leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. Ways I get too comfortable. Point number two, I get comfortable with the culture. I get comfortable with the culture. Um, when you read this, some people have weaponized this scripture to um, serve as a support for segregation because they talk about mixing races. So if used or interpreted inappropriately, you could use it that way to mean like, okay, see, you can't have this, like races need to stay. Like, that's not what this is saying. When they talk, when they're talking about mixing the holy race with all of these others, they're talking about they became yoked with, intermingled with people who denied their God. So it's not about your skin color. It's not about what you look like. It is the fact that he took issue, God took issue and still takes issue with us as believers, getting very comfortable with our culture and intermingling with things that deny our God. And it's not talking about when you intermarry with something, it's not talking about being around something. Because that's the first thing I heard in, in the room. Y'all thought it, and I heard it, that it's like, well, what are you going to do? Like, we live in the world. Like, how are you going to, like, you can't avoid, like, culture. Like, we're not called to be, like, a cult and be set apart like that. No, correct. It's, it's not about the fact that you're around it. The intermingling of it is very specific language. It is when you become yoked with. It is when you become tied to. It is when you become bound with and by the culture. That is what God is talking about when he says that you have gotten too comfortable with the culture. We have um, several different types of culture right now. We have Western culture, which is like our American culture. Um, we have internet culture. We have um, social media culture. And then within, we have church culture. And then within those cultures, you have like subcultures, right? What God is saying is that you cannot be comfortable and intermingle with any of these cultures that deny me, to include internet culture, social media culture, church culture, if it is denying me. So then it's like, okay, I know that this is another message about what not to do, but I want it to land in this moment because we've talked about this before in smaller groups of us that we are called to be set apart and we are almost at a point now where we don't want to be set apart because it sets us apart, <laughs> right? Like it's like you don't, it's, it's like your kids, 
you were a kid, I was a kid before. It's like, I don't want to look different. Like, I know that you're calling me to a value system that is higher and that is um, better, but I don't want to look different. We as believers are at a point where we don't want to be set apart. We don't want to look different. And the problem with that is that we were called to be, we have been called to be salt and light to the earth. Um, T.D. Jake said it. I love T.D. Jake's case, you don't know. But he said that salt seasons meat, not the other way around. That's his. That's his. Salt seasons meat, not the other way around. We are not to be seasoned by what is around us. We are supposed to bring life, and we are supposed to bring light, and we are supposed to bring seasoning and accent what is happening versus the reverse influence that has been going on. I want you to hear the word behind the word because what I'm not saying is that you have to be off the internet and you can't be a part of cultural things. I'm not saying that, but God is speaking to you right now. Do what he's saying to do, and don't do what he's saying to you to not do. The set apart for all of us is defined in that we've been called to be holy and set apart. But there are things that God is speaking to you about, and he'll continue to speak to you about that. You can't do that because you have a specific assignment, a call, a specific influence that if you do it, and if, or if you do it this way, it causes you to lose your saltiness. And I can't speak in a microphone and tell you what causes you to lose your saltiness. But God can, and he will, and he already is telling you. So whatever that thing is that he's saying to you, go ahead and write it down or make a mental note of it that that's the thing that I need to make sure I, 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 I set myself apart from because it's causing me to lose my saltiness. Amen? Amen. So I am going to get through this word. The first thing, the first way that we were called, that God called out as ways we get too comfortable are I get comfortable with avoiding opposition. The second is I get comfortable with the culture. And now we're going to skip over to Haggai. And Haggai is going to give us our third and final way that we get too comfortable. Lord, be with us because it is nine verses, verses one through nine. Haggai, verses 1 through 9. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetael, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it time for you to, for you yourselves be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I want to stop right there for a moment because keep follow the, follow the timeline. So 586 was the fall. They get exiled. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, 539, King Cyrus takes over. 538, he is moved by God's heart to go ahead and let the people go back and start rebuilding. They get there. They start rebuilding. We were just in chapter 4. They had good intentions. Stuff came up. Life happened. They got discouraged, so they stopped building. So this is where we are in chapter 1 of Haggai, and this is what he's saying to them. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. 
Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Maybe that should rename this message. Give careful thought to your ways. You like that, Michelle? I feel like that that's where it's, that's driving it home. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Number three, I get comfortable with focusing on my house. We have been lulled to sleep, y'all. And it is not for lack of effort. It is not for lack of good intentions, but it is, it is. And we talked about two other ways that we have gotten too comfortable as believers and as followers of Christ. This third one is the final one because I feel like God, once, you know, you say this kind of thing, people just need to go home and think. You just don't need to say anything else after this. The third way is I get comfortable with focusing on my house. Verse 2 said, um, the people say the time has not yet come for us to build the Lord's house. Because, again, they were building. They were met with opposition, court officials, people discouraging them. And now the people are saying it's not time. So it's, it's not like we're not going to do it, but it's just not time yet. And what they're really operating under is fear from the last time they tried to do it. But rather than be able to call that out, they say, it's just not time. We're going to do it. We're going to get around to building his house. We promise. It's just not time yet. And today, we may not ever say it's not time yet. We just demonstrate it's not time yet. We don't ever say that we don't have time for God's stuff. If you do, We'll pray after service because that's a, I think that's a first-class ticket to hell if you say that. You don't have time for God. That's not something that you should say ever. <laughs> I don't think we say it because it sounds bad. We just show it. We just show up as people who don't have time for the things of God. And meanwhile, we are focusing on our house. Um, my husband and I, we talk a lot. He talks a lot despite what you guys may think. He, ta he talks a lot. Um, but we are always, as in our, in our conversations, saying that people make time for what they want to make time for. And that is just period. So if you are somebody and you're like, no, I really do. Like, I, I, like, I hear what she's saying, but no, like in my heart, God knows my heart. And I really do want to do things for him. I, do, I really do want to serve in his house. I do really do want to do his stuff. But I just, I don't, I don't have time. I mean, like I look at my calendar. I don't have, I, you make time for whatever it is that you want to do. And that is Father God standing right here looking at you in your face saying, you make time for whatever it is that you want to do. You know how I know? Because when you pull out your calendar, it is full of everything that you wanted to do. And you might say to yourself, well, I, work is what it is. Yeah, everybody got to work. Yeah, but you, you make time for work. 
when it rains on Sundays, we already know we're going to be short about 20% of the people. Now, now that's that same rain come on Monday, you're going to find a way to get to work because you make time for the things that you want to make time for. You don't have time to volunteer. You don't have time for Bible study, individual, on your own. But you do have time for your child to play any and every sport possible as they're trying to become the next, I don't know, whatever you think that they're going to become. God bless them. I hope they become that. But I'm just saying, like, probability's low. Probably won't be LeBron James. Okay. But it's just not, probably not going to happen. You make time for the things that you want to make time for. You make time for vacation. You make time for date nights. You make time for whatever it is that you want to make time for. And as much as this might sound like I'm shaming you, I'm not. I'm just calling you into accountability because when we talk about being too comfortable and we talk about focusing on our house, you have to be reflective and be honest about where you are placing your priorities and your focus and your time. And it's usually on something to do with you. And for me, it's usually on something that has to do with me. And this is not God saying that you have to now completely give up everything that you have on your agenda and only serve at the church and only do God. That's not what it is. But what, what he is saying is that I need for you to understand in order for you to be not just saved, we're saved by grace. We're, you're, you will be saved. You're saved from the time that you accept him into your heart. But in order for you to be a believer, which is beyond saved, which is to be a follower, a disciple, you are going to have to start to reprioritize your time. And you're going to have to start to reprioritize um, what your interests are. I'll give you a different example. So Pastor Tina and I mentioned that we went to this conference. It was a Lifeway Women's Conference. It was so amazing. Um, but when she initially sent the invite, I was like, oh, that's nice. I don't have time for that. <laughs> it's like that's so nice but I don't have time for that it was on a Saturday and it was a one day what we went to anyway was a one day conference it was like from 8.30 to like 4.30 and I was like I just I don't have time and as I was preparing to tell her I didn't have I couldn't make it um, God was telling me well, so let's talk about that why can't you make it I was like well you know because God got so much going on you know what I mean like I it's just you know you know, you know when you really don't have a good answer, you just start speaking in, like, generalities and just be like, I'm just busy. You know what I mean? I got stuff going on, you know, and stuff. So what are, you, what are you doing on that Saturday? I was like, I don't have anything to do that Saturday, but I know I'm going to be tired from the Monday, Friday, because, like, my work is, like, really busy. And, like, I just, like, Saturday, I just need to, like, just relax. Just, like, why am I walking you through this? Because this is the kind of stuff, these are the kind of conversations that we have with ourselves. And these are the kind of ways that we justify doing or not doing the things that are a part of God's stuff. That wasn't a TMC thing. That wasn't um, something that I had to do. But God was telling me that you need to prioritize feeding yourself. You need to prioritize giving yourself the truth. You need to prioritize these opportunities that come that give you an opportunity to get closer to me and to lean into my word. And it's sitting right here and it's in front of you and it's in Orlando and you're just saying you just can't because you just can't. And there's not really a good reason. We have prioritized our house. And there are some of us that if it doesn't 
run through our house. If it doesn't pertain to one of our children or ourselves or our spouses, we're not doing it. And that's a problem because just like it was a problem for these people, God is saying, meanwhile, while you're taking care of your house, my house is without walls. My house has no paneling. My house has no structure. My house has no love. My house has my my house is missing all of these comforts while you are sitting comfortable. I will let that be. I will let that be. What was interesting though, and I'm almost done. What was interesting is that in verses three through five, he said, while you're taking care of your houses, you have planted much, but harvested little. Y'all, this is an agricultural society. So this is not like your little um, herb garden that you have in your house, in your kitchen. This is like, this is their means of living. This is their career. And he's saying to them, your stuff ain't working. And here's why, because your priorities are out of alignment. And I promise you, once you get things aligned as they should be, I'll make all of it work. But he said to them very specifically that you planted much, but you've harvested little. He also said that he blew on their efforts. I don't need God to be blowing on anything that I am doing and seeking and striving for. But he is saying, I will continue to blow on your efforts until you get into alignment as a believer and as a follower of me and start to take care of my house. And again, I want to make sure that, because you, you can say my house and people automatically think church. It does mean church. I'll be very direct. We need help. So come be help. But it is not just the house of God, the physical house. He is saying that you have so prioritized everything that is of the world. You have so prioritized everything that denies me while meanwhile leaving the parts of you that need to be covered by my word and the parts of you that need to be poured into by my Holy Spirit completely abandoned. And he's saying today that that needs to stop. You can stand to your feet. Um, I said earlier that this message is not intended to shame you or me, but it is intended to call us into accountability. And as we close, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2. And you don't have to go there. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from, from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The people of God who were going back to Jerusalem, they had good works that God had prepared in advance for them to do. We have good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And as much as this might feel like um, uncomfortable, God is calling us into accountability because he needs us to be reminded of the priorities. And we have been called and set apart for good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. It's been said a couple times today 
the grocery store, how often we take for granted going to the grocery store, and we've said it without saying it, but there is someone who decided, enticed by the enemy, to go into a grocery store and to mass murder people who just didn't even see it coming. And I have been not privileged enough to have people um, in my circle who had a grandmother who was at that grocery store or posted on LinkedIn that my aunt was at that grocery store and she lost her life. And I'm not saying this in the pulpit to give the enemy any more shine than he needs, but I am saying it to call us into accountability because we are needed right now. And the God who lives inside of us is needed right now. I had a coworker who emailed me because she's from the Buffalo area, and her email title was, I'm not okay. And what we are tending to do as believers with that kind of just vulnerability is say, oh, man, I'll pray for them. I'm going to pray for her. No, someone is telling you that I'm not okay and the reason why they feel comfortable saying to me that they're not okay is not because Portia is, but because there's something in you that I need right now. And that something is God. And there's something in you, Ariel. And there's something in you, Mike. And there's something in you, James. And there's something in you, Sanaya, that people are craving right now. And we are stifling it and suppressing it because we are too comfortable. And we want to make sure that we don't bypass or go past our own comfort to make sure that they get what they need that's on the inside of us. But God created in advance great works for us to do, and these are the works. Father God, I thank you. I thank you. When you speak, you don't look for applause. When your word moves, it's not looking for recognition because your word will go forth and it will accomplish and do exactly what you set out for it to do. And right now in this place, for those in this room, for those who are listening on the streaming service, for those who may listen to this after the fact, you want to make sure with all clarity that your people know that it is time for us to move out of our place of sleep and comfort. You are calling us into action, God, not because you are doing it just to do it. You're calling us into action because there is an assignment that is before us. And we have to, we have to, as long as we say we want to hold up the banner of Jesus Christ, as long as we say that we want to be used by you, as long as we say that we want to follow you and be your disciples, we have to answer the call. God, I ask in this moment, Lord God, that for those of us who have made the call a suggestion, and for those of us who have made the call feel optional, I ask that you would arrest us in the spirit right now, in the name of Jesus, and that you will remind us, that it could have been us, and it should have been us, but it wasn't us because of your great grace and your mercy. And now that we stand on the side of freedom and victory, you are not just compelling us, you are urging us, you are demanding of us that we go and we be salt and we be light 
in this world that is losing its salt and that is dark. God, I pray right now for every person who has heard this word because I know, Lord God, that this word is your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to them the word behind the word, just like you told me you would. You said if you go up there and if you open your mouth, I'll speak through you. And once I speak through you, I'll speak to them. So just like you promised me you would, I ask, Lord God, that you would go and that you would speak the word behind the word to your people. It's happening in this moment. It's starting in this moment, but it continues on the car ride home. And it continues when they get to their beds at night. And when they wake up tomorrow, it's not just church was good as usual, God, but they feel compelled and called, Lord God, just like I do, to be better to be better for the people around us, Lord God, to be better for you, God, to look like you, to take your shape, God, because you need us to be the hands and feet of you in this earth on today. People need to stop killing themselves under our watch. And people need to stop deciding that they're going to succumb to suppression, depression under our watch. God, it's bigger than us. It always has been. And I thank you, Lord God, that you would care enough about us and you care enough about the people to call us into this conversation. Where there's any resistance to this conversation, I bind it in the name of Jesus. Where there's any um, dismissive behavior towards this conversation, I bind it in the name of Jesus. Because we were set apart for such a time as this, and the time is now, and we will answer and we will not continue to choose our comfort over your call. And we will not continue to allow people around us to literally die as we stay in our paneled houses. We will not continue, Lord God, to allow your house to go without while our house is in abundance. We will not continue, Lord God, to let the things of you suffer as we seek and strive to make ourselves greater. In the name of Jesus, God, I thank and praise you, Lord God, that we will decrease so that you can increase in our lives. And when you increase in our lives, Lord God, God, you will show up in mighty and powerful ways and you will shift the, the balance of our lives and you will change the trajectory of our lives and you will shift your weight in this place and in our hearts and our minds so that we can be who you called us to be. Because if we're not willing to do, that, to do that, there is no point for us. If we are not willing to take up the call, if we are not willing to answer the assignment, there is no reason for why you called us out. We might as well have stayed bound. I thank you for freedom today. I thank you, Lord God, that as I'm saying this, that there is this spiritual awakening that is happening in this place and that there is this arousal of the Holy Spirit that is happening as I'm speaking and that while people have been sleeping, for some people it's a very deep sleep. Shake them, God. Move them, God. Awake them, God. Disrupt them, God. Remind them, God, of your glory and the glory that you want to do through them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I thank and praise you for all these things. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.